Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Tara and this is Joe. Hey everyone. We are the Fanalists and we are back. And we are here to open our hearts and spill our guts and talk about everything we love about the Portland Trailblazers and the NBA. Yeah, super stoked to be back and to be chatting about basketball. I've per- personally taken a bit of a break and just returned to the U.S., so I'm a little out of the loop, so I've got a lot to talk about. And we'll I get you all lot, caught want, up. Yeah, a lot I want to hear about. But before we do that, I feel like we've got some housekeeping items that we need to go over. And one of those is, I'm excited because I'm glad to be back in a part of this, our next Women's Hops and Talks event. So our next what event, or as Tara likes to say, hashtag blazers what. So that is going to be on March 19th. So blazers what is our women's group where we get together and we watch a game and we talk about basketball and we just have fun together and as women and we're just in this open forum of input and participation it's it's really cool so march 19th the game against miami the game's at three o'clock usually we say show up around like 2 30 so that you can say hello to everyone and kind of get all your chatty chats out and your greetings out before the game starts so that we can watch the game and, and start talking about basketball um so again we host these at Broadway McMenamins there in Portland on the east side. And it's really fun. They've got a big projector we watch the game on. And uh, this one's on March 19th at 3 p.m. Show up around 2.30. We always get a lot of really fun and cool local contributors. And I think, Terry, you actually have a list of yeah. people that have, have contributed to these events, right? We play some fun games and giveaway prizes. And we have had con- contributions from Graphletics, from Evanem, and from Trill Blazin. They all donated like fun merchandise, t-shirts, blazer stuff that we were able to give away to our contest winners. And we have another um, local... Uh, artist who's going to be contributing something this time. You want to tell them about it? Yeah. So I don't know how many of you are familiar with Dino Murphy, but he's a local artist that does a whole line about the Blazers. He obviously has a lot of different subjects and a lot of different art, but he's got a whole Blazers thing going on and it's really rad. So check him out on Twitter or Facebook. His names there are Dino by design. The Twitter handle is at Dino six five zero zero seven. Look at me knowing what a Twitter handle I know. is. <laughs> you're, you're like this close to actually getting a Twitter account, aren't you? No, but um, check out Dino by design. He's going to donate a print from the Blazers line, and it's the Damian Lillard print where it says the Great Dame on it. So go check him out, and you'll be able to see that particular print. That's what we're going to be giving away for one of our contests or quizzes. We never really decide what we're 
what we're um, giving it away for until the event comes. It's part of the fun of it all. And so I think you'll be really excited to, to see this print and to have a chance to win it. Yeah, just, you know, shout out to all of the supporters. Like, people have been really supportive about these women's only event, which has, like, been so great. Like, they understand that it's really a nice thing for us to just, you know, have a place where um, we can get together and everybody can ask questions. They can try out um, analysis without feeling like being any under under any great pressure. And we just watch the games together, have a great time. And, um, you know, we hope to see more people on March 19th. Yeah, so that's that's basically our biggest housekeeping item that we wanted to get out of the way. And the other thing is, I need a catch up. Like I really, I have no idea what's what's been going on. I've been off in remote parts of the world, so I didn't really have that much access. So I was hoping, Tara, that you could bring me back to speed before we get into our discussion. Sure. I'll give you my highlights. These are the things that stuck out um, to me about what's been going on with the Blazers in the last oh, six weeks or so. And I don't know if the things that I call out are the same things that people, other people think are important, but here we go. So right before you left town, the Blazers swapped their 2018 draft pick for their two thousand for their own 2017 draft pick. They made this swap with Cleveland. We were facil- helping them facilitate a trade to Kyle Korver. But what so anyway, what ended up happening is that Blazers with that swap ended up with two 2017 draft picks. So that happened right before you left. Now in February on February 7th, Evan Turner broke his hand in a game against Dallas, which was a super bummer because he had just been um, he'd been uh, working his he'd been in the starting lineup. The Blazers had been playing pretty well with them. And um, it was just kind of a disappointment to see all the progress that he'd made suddenly had to come to a stop while he rehabbed his hand. So he's supposed to be out five to six weeks. And the latest date that I heard targeted for his return was uh, March 15th is against the Spurs. I'm so excited for him to come back. I miss him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do. I do miss his hustle. I miss his like, you know, you know that he's playing hard every play. And sometimes I feel like he's the one who, uh, you know, gets people really rolling when they're um, and especially before the big trade that we're going to talk about. The the Blazers were, you know, they were still they were still playing hard, but it seemed like they were it took a lot of effort to just get them to be into the game to finish off a lot of games without without Evan Turner around. But anyway, on February 13th, Blazers traded Mason Plumley for a 2017 first round draft pick. So that would give us three first round draft picks and Yusuf Nurkic. Now, at the time when national media were talking about it, they kind of saw this trade as a sound trade for both teams and a trade that would probably see more benefit for Denver in the short term, but Portland in the long term. So they were really focused on that uh, first round draft pick as that really being, you know, the prize for Portland, you know, in the long term. They talked a lot about the national media talked a lot about the fact that Nurkic had sort of become kind of a weight in Denver because he wasn't getting playing time. He you know, was on the bench a lot. He wasn't getting minutes and they were saying that he was pouting about it and he just needed out. So the fact that he would be joining the team and now Portland would have three draft picks and if they didn't make the playoffs and at the time it looked like the Blazers were not going to improve we would have three uh, playoff picks and one of them would be a lottery pick. So that's that's kind of what people thought was was going to happen um, when that trade was made, you know, with bo- both Plumlee and Turner out. 
it was going to be like, you know, Blazers mm-hmm. were going to have a hard time winning. So on February 15th, Nurkic debuted in Utah against the Jazz. He didn't look bad. He was somewhat out of shape, but that's because he hadn't been playing very many minutes. He moved pretty well and he seemed really enthusiastic. And that was kind of fun because, you know, when the guys have just been playing a regular routine, when you interject something new, it always, I think, makes everybody have to concentrate a little bit harder. So I love it when they introduce, you know, something new. Despite all of um, the good things that, you know, the flashes of good things that we saw from Nurkic, the Blazers got rolled. It was uh, 111 to 88 against the Jazz. I hate losing to the Jazz. <laughs> Why do you hate losing to the Jazz so much? Because I hate the Jazz. They're my second most hated team. And when it comes to basketball, I hold grudges. I just really don't feel any kind of way against the Jazz. I mean, I know they're really good, but I just can't get... I just can't get any feeling one way or the other about them. Were you watching in 1999 when Carmelo and Elbert Rashid lost in the face? Were you watching that? I just I just feel really far removed from that team. I just feel like they just don't have an identity <laughs> right now. Okay, fine. You're a better person than me. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) So then the all-star break happened and the trade deadline, and it was fun to have them close together because it sounds like a lot of people were down in at the all-star break doing a lot of wheeling and dealing for the trade deadline. So, of course, the boogie trade happened, and there was um, there was some talk around here about, like, well, apparently anybody could have gotten boogie. Why didn't Portland go out and get boogie? Um, but I would say that considering how many people in Portland love boogie and have been talking about how much they want a boogie, I would say there really wasn't a ton of complaining about the fact that he didn't come. There was less, there was less grousing about it than I expected, and... Maybe I'm I'm guessing that that might be because it was such a strange and lopsided trade that it made people go, ooh, maybe there was maybe there was even bigger problems than we thought that he could be, you know, had for, um, you know, such a interesting collection. So um, so Portland got over that. And if you ask me, when you when you look at that trade, when the when they traded Cousins to the Pelicans, I think the biggest winners in that trade were the New York Knicks, because actually for like a whole week, nobody was making fun of the Knicks. So I think they won that trade. Because people were so excited about what was going on with Cousins and the Pelicans. Yeah, everybody <laughs> forgot to like make fun of um, the Knicks trying to unload Carmelo Anthony and how poorly that was <laughs> that whole show was going. <laughs> I'm I'm excited. I think that the two, the cousins and Anthony Davis, have potential to be freaking crazy together. And I, I knew I think you were going to love it. I love it because I'm obsessed with Anthony Davis. Um, and I was one of the people that wanted Bookie to come to Portland. Uh, I think he's a phenomenal basketball player. So I think it'll be cool. I think it may even be into like next season because clearly there are some some compatibility issues at the moment. But I think they'll get there, and I think it'll be so rad. See, you love both of those players so much. That's uh, and I yes, I do. I am not. I'm not like as excited about Anthony Davis as as you are. But I was just sure that this trade was what was going to happen that was going to make him transcendent. I was just sure that it was good, you know, because everybody's been saying, just give Anthony Davis some talent to work with. And I thought, well, here it is. Here's the talent that Anthony Davis needed to work with. They're going to go out and they're just going to kill everybody. And I thought they were going to be making the playoffs and we were all just going to be sitting there with our mouths hanging open. And I was like super wrong about that. That has not manifested itself. Well, it's been like five minutes. 
So well, it's also been five minutes and we've had use of Nurkic and we have like a whole line item to talk about called Nurk fever. So that's true. That's true. And we're what five and three with him and we've won four in a row. I actually tend to think that that recent success is because I am back in the Blazers verse. I think so it's we all me. have Joe, Joe's return to thank for that. Okay, well, you know what? Whatever it takes. I'm just excited to watch fun basketball right now because it was getting kind of hard for a while there. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go on with my recap, everything that we missed. Um, so the Blazers didn't make any more moves at the trade deadline, um, although there was this little kerfuffle, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, Casey Holdall tweeted out that Jake Lehman and Damian Lillard were the only players on the team plane heading to Orlando. And some folks interpreted that, maybe joking, maybe not. Some folks interpreted that as meaning like they were holding a bunch of players uh, out for a big trade coming up. But no, the fact was that because it was at the end of All-Star break, just all all the other players were already in Orlando. Like they'd been there for days, were getting sun and enjoying themselves. So <laughs> I would say the All-Star break worked out pretty well for the Trailblazers. Do you want to hear something funny? Yes. I, I don't even know who won the All-Star game. I didn't even think about looking either. that up until you just said that. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't watch a second of All-Star Weekend. I do not like All-Star Weekend. The I think one of the craziest things about the All-Star Weekend was the fact that almost 400 points were scored in the All-Star game was not the wildest thing that happened that weekend. <laughs> the wildest thing that happened that well, weekend was the interview with boogie after the game where he apparently learned about it that learned that he'd been traded like during the course of his interview that was the wildest thing that happened all weekend not the fact that two teams scored 400 points yeah there was i couldn't decide whether or not it was all staged or not but they were interviewing boogie after the all-star game and some guy comes up and 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 they start off by saying okay um all-star game questions only all-star game questions only and then boogie goes what are they talking about and then some guy comes up and whispers in his ear and then he was like oh and then he goes i love new orleans i just love being in new orleans to play the all-star game i just love new orleans (laughs) he's like i don't even have to get on the plane to go back just pack my things (laughs) yeah so i thought that was the funnest thing out of um the most interesting thing out of all-star all-star break that's funny So after All-Star break, the Blazers were in about the 10th spot. Um, They were fighting with the Mavs, the Kings, the Pelicans, and the Timberwolves for who was going to challenge Denver for that 8th spot. So Denver was pretty uh, pretty solidly in the 8th spot. They just acquired Mason Plumlee. They had cleared up their uh, center rotation, and things looked like they were going to be going really well for Denver. But maybe one of these other teams might challenge them, and we were sort of in the mix possibly for that. That was as close as really people thought we were going to be um some some people thought we were going to be towards approaching the playoffs so the blazers continued on their road trip they won in orlando and then they lost in toronto and detroit in double overtime a nurkic had spent uh, all-star break in los angeles getting into shape and he did in fact um look better and he's continuing to look better like he's you know gotten a little bit of wind back Let's see. And he continued to put up better than expected numbers, which kind of surprised me. I thought um, he was going to come in and, you know, have like the excitement game and then that he would kind of uh, go back to, you know, lower numbers, numbers more like what he was putting up when he was in Denver. 
that does not seem to be the case. He seems to be continuing, uh, for the most part, to excel and get better every game, which is kind of exciting. At, at first, I was like, dude, stay in your lane. Like, just do the thing that we brought you to do. And I was afraid he was trying to do too much, like trying to pass, you know, trying to get blocks and steals and everything and score and assist. And I was just like, you know, just dial it back. Just do the things that you were brought on to do. And then I realized wow, he can kind of do all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So it was cool. Um, All right, just to get us caught back up, on March 1st, the Blazers announced that Ed Davis would be having shoulder surgery and he would be out for the rest of the season. That caught me by surprise. Yeah, that's a bummer. I mean, we didn't really, we didn't, it was, it just sort of was like, oh, so Ed Davis is out and we're like, oh, that's why he hadn't been playing. He'd only been playing a little bit. He'd been kind of trying to play. It was just kind of one of those things. It was like, oh, I kind of wish we'd known that, that he was dealing with that. But so he's had his surgery. He will be back. Well, we don't know what he'll be back. Maybe he'll be back next season. Um, so on March 2nd, Nurkic debuted in Portland. It was the big... I don't know if you've seen the pictures, but I don't, I'm not sure if it was his first game or his second game, but he came into the arena wearing a shirt with a giant picture of his girlfriend on it. <laughs> so, I, saw, I saw that picture. She's pretty. He he loves to make a statement. This guy loves the spotlight. He is getting everything that he possibly can out of the spotlight. And on that March 2nd game against um, OKC... He like earned every bit of that spotlight because it was a really fun game. I went to that game and I was sitting in my friend's seat, which are closer to the game than my usual usual seats are. So I was up pretty close. That was one of the funnest games this year. And I got to tell you, my favorite point in that game was in the first quarter when Nurkic went up and he got his first block. There was this like microsecond of dead silence in the arena as everybody stood there with their mouths open right before they then just absolutely exploded because people were just like, what is that? And they were just shocked into silence for just a second. And then it was just like the loudest I'd heard the arena in a really long time as everybody was just like, oh, my God, that's a rim protecting center. (laughs) It (laughs) It was really fun to be there. So apparently after that game, we're never going to lose again. That's we've won four games in a row. And I did the math and it looks like the Trailblazers are going to go 47 and 35 for the rest of the year. What do you think? Uh, I wish that would happen because that would be way closer to my prediction that I am turning out to be grossly wrong about. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) Before before the season started, I, I definitely... I, I'm just wrong. I'm just dead wrong about how this season was was going to go. I will admit that. So hey, if we, if we win every game and finish 47 and 35, that would be phenomenal. I'm totally on board with that plan. If you you know want me to go have a meeting with Terry Stotts, I can do that for you. you okay, know. we'll arrange that. Okay, that would be great. Thanks. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be watching. Um, it seems like they had a bit of a rough patch for a while while I was gone. And so to come back on the upswing of things is nice. It's nice mm-hmm. to see them having a little bit of success. I was super, super surprised about Ed. That just shocked me. I had no idea there was even a problem. And again, because I, I had been out of the loop, I didn't even really know that his minutes had been diminished or that he wasn't really playing much at all. So to me, to get that random little notification on the rare occasions that I had Wi-Fi mm-hmm. that he was out for the season, I, I was just like, wait, what? Somebody explain this to me. So thank you for the update. 
Yeah. Well, and the thing with um, the thing with Ed is I thought there was something going on like, you know, every it was either going to be a Myers Leonard game or Ed Davis game. I think I was still trying to work that out in my head before you left. Like every game I would try to guess, Okay, is he going to play Myers Leonard or is he going to play Ed Davis? And I thought it had to do with the matchup. But now I'm wondering if it had more to do with how Ed was feeling and whether or not he wanted to go for it that night. Yeah, I don't know. But so you you came back and did you catch um, Nurk fever? I have officially caught Nurk fever. That is that is correct. Uh, I am super stoked on what I'm seeing. So I've only really seen two games, and just for the listeners' purposes here, uh, we are recording on Saturday before the Washington Wizards mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. So the last two games that I've been able to catch were the 76ers. And then the OKC game in Oklahoma. I love so, that we won that game so much. I I'm, love it when I, we beat them. Okay, I love that we won that game, but I am so irritated. Why? That we could possibly let Russell Westbrook score his career high. You know, if we wanted to let Russ score 35 and just do what Russ does, maybe get a triple-double – Fine, fine. But to allow him to have some aspect of our defense collapse so terribly that we can allow him to score a career high 58 points against us, it taints the win to me. It makes me angry. Like there's clearly a breakdown there. Like that needs to be fixed. And again, I'm completely willing to sit and have a conversation with Terry Stotts about this, if you would like. <laughs> <laughs> so two, two things. I about... would probably be no help to him, just so the listeners know that I'm not being serious. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's two things about Russell Westbrook's career high. The first was I was actually kind of surprised that 54 at that point was his career high. I thought he would have had like a 60 or 70 point game at some point. I was kind of like, oh, really? 54? I mean, even though that's like a ridiculous amount of points, I, it's seemed low to me for somebody who scores like 50% of their team's points. It seemed like a low, uh, like a low number. But the other thing is I was just glad that it wasn't some other unknown player that I'd never heard of going off and having his career night against us. I mean, I kind of thought the plan was, look, Russ is going to get Russ get going to get it. Don't let anybody score on us. I guess I'm naive thinking that that's a plan. That's maybe like why I'm not a coach, but like would, a plan to focus on everyone. Like, right, to, to like limit. obviously we can't contain Russ, so yeah. let him do what he does and focus on containing everyone else. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. That's what I thought that, you know, we would do because we've had so many nights where some unknown player, some player that I've never heard of before ends up getting his career high against us. So I thought, you know, it was going to be the night for, you know, Sabonis was going to get his, you know, career high or whatever. I, you know, I was glad, like, if we're going to, you know, if Russ is going to score, just let Russ, you know, don't let him score, but like, you know, that's the trade-off. Is I mean, they did. They just <laughs> let him score. And they did it's... not win, did they? The Blazers well, won that game. Sure, but it's just, it's to me, it's like, well, it's kind of sad that, I mean, they had a nice game. They shot 55%. They were 48% from beyond the arc. The bench killed it. They limited their turnovers. I mean, there's so many, like, positive things that you can pull out of that game. And then there's this, like, 
mar <laughs> you on, do hold grudges on the game sheets it's just it upsets me and i like russell i like him i am not on the boat of people that hate him i think he is one of the most entertaining players to watch that have ever played the game i'm on any given night i'm going to be cheering russ on and in his corner it just makes me mad that you know, there's this one big mark. So anyway, that was like the one game. And then this, the second game that I was able to watch was a couple nights ago against Philadelphia. And that is where I officially caught Nurk fever, mm-hmm. and, which I know is a term that you're not super excited about. But I, <laughs> it's but I think just, it's here to using stay. It so much. I mean, he's, he used it in his walk-off interview and he, the crowd went wild mm-hmm. in the Moda Center and they loved it. And they just, everyone is just so excited about him. So I think it's, I think it's here to stay, but that stat line is crazy. And I know people have probably heard it a million times, but I'll repeat it again for those who may have forgotten that we haven't seen a stat line like this in like 30 years. Okay. And he had 28 points, 20 rebounds, eight assists, Six blocks and two steals, which yeah. is insane. He broke a career high of his in four separate categories. So I don't know how you watch something like that and you don't catch Nurk fever. I mean, you could, again, I can, I feel like there's a, a bit of a mar on that game just because I'm like, it's the 76ers and you let it go into overtime. Like, come on, guys, like we're better than this. So there's a tiny, tiny, tiny negative connotation to me on that game. But 98% of it was just fun, entertaining basketball. And it was actually kind of refreshing to see the 76ers put up such a fight. And then there's this like bright shining light of Yusuf Nurkic, where Mm -hmm. I'm just like, so glad to be back in Rip City and so glad to see what he's doing. (laughs) Just like. Super stoked on him. I think it's it's great. And I, I was actually surprised because I won't say who, but, you know, I've heard a lot in other podcasts about, oh, he doesn't have range or he can't make his free throws or he's out of shape and his athleticism is is going down the tube and he doesn't have energy down the stretch. And I'm just expect kind of expecting to see that because that's what I'm hearing. And instead I'm seeing him make 10 of 13 free throws. I'm seeing him hit some jumpers from pretty far out compared to what I had heard his range was. And I'm seeing things like, I don't, I don't know if you um, know the exact play that I'm talking about, but late in the fourth quarter, he drives he collapses the defense in on him realizes he doesn't have a shot dishes it out to the perimeter and is still like is immediately back to box out and try to get that rebound and be there until the very last second of the execution of that play and we're talking late in the fourth quarter for a a big man that everybody says is so out of shape and to see him exhibit that kind of energy and follow through with the play so so intensely, I don't. I was just really excited about it. Well, the thing is, is all those things that you said about him, those things were true about him when he was in Denver. He was not a great free throw shooter in Denver. In Denver, he shot 49% from the three free throw line. He was, um, you know, he, he, he wasn't any of those things. Well, he... 
it's not untrue to say all those things about him before he came to Portland. But then like so many players who've come to Portland, once he got here, he was put in a situation where he was able to show more things than he'd ever had the opportunity to show before. So let me ask you this. When you found out that that Portland had traded Plumlee for Nurkic and the draft pick, were you more excited about Nurkic or the draft pick? Uh, definitely Nurkic because you know how I feel about draft picks. Although I do think that Portland has, well, I shouldn't say Portland. I think Neil O'Shea has an uncanny ability to draft players. Well, mm-hmm. uncanny is not the right word. What's the word I'm looking for? You know what I'm talking yeah. about, what I'm trying to say. Um, I think he does really, really well with draft picks, but I don't, I don't like the uncertainty of rookies. Like mm-hmm. I don't like not quite knowing what they're going to bring at this level of competition. Mm -hmm. So I was definitely, I I wasn't thinking about it as like, Oh, this, he could be a trade piece or he brings in this draft pick that we could use to package with another deal. Like I way more specifically honed in on what is Yusuf Nurkic going to bring? And I would, I was sad to see Mason go because I do really love the way that Mason passes. That's like my favorite thing about him. Mm -hmm. But I think I messaged you from Mm -hmm. wherever I was at the time. And I think I said, yeah, I'm kind of excited about this young guy. Like, I think, I think it'll be great. And I think that it is, this is just my opinion, but I think that it is wrong for media or fans to say things like, well, those those things were true. He was, but he didn't shoot free throws well, or he was bad at this or this or that in Denver. Because I don't necessarily think, especially in cases like Yusuf's, that it's about his capability. Just because he didn't perform super well in Denver, I don't think that that means he's not capable of these things. I think he needed the right opportunity. The other night, he played 37 minutes for Portland. And when was the last time he played 37 minutes in Denver? Mm-hmm. So to give him the platform with which to show us his capabilities, I think is that's the scenario where you can then determine that he can or cannot do a certain thing. Mm-hmm. So to me, like I'm just, I think people kind of underestimated him a little bit. But the other thing about the Rip City fan base is they tend to get on board real quick. <laughs> so I think once they see what he can do, like they've seen what he's done, I think he's been really embraced in Portland. I think the way that the fans reacted to him, the way he played to the crowd, you know, there was a specific moment in that 76ers game where I think I think he just had a really nice nice dunk or something, or maybe he had a jump shot. I can't even remember the shot specifically, but I remember him like pulling out his mouthpiece and walking up the sideline and just saying to the crowd, let's go, Mm -hmm. let's go. Like he fell right into playing to the crowd and then the, the walk-off interview, like playing to the crowd there and just the grin on his face when he heard the cheers and the excitement and the acceptance of Rib City like I just think he's immediately embraced what he's got here and the opportunity that he has here. And therefore, I think from this point out, we can start saying he's capable of this, this or that versus saying that he wasn't before. Well, but again, the 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 statistics of how he was doing before, you know, are they are what they are. And, you know, he was a poor free throw shooter. He did not shoot from range. He didn't get as many assists. But you're right. It's because of, you know, he was in a different 
situation. And I think what the story can be instead of, oh, he wasn't any good. I think the story can be, look how much he has improved in this situation, which he definitely has. And I'm very happy for him. I'm, I'm, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. I would say I have like a low grade fever because I, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm monitoring it (laughs) because (laughs) I'm, I'm slightly concerned that Everything is going so, so well right now. I'm a a little worried about, you know, either just bad luck happening to us or us going into a funk and it being a lot harder than it was when we were winning. So I'm going to I'm going to stay optimistic. I'm staying cautiously optimistic. And I really hope the most for him. He's so young. That's the other thing about him is I forget how how young he is. He and Noah Vonley are the same age. And they're yeah they're both so young it's been a long time since i think we saw somebody this young this talented right away like maybe you know damien was 22 but he'd been in four years of um college already so i don't know it's exciting it's an exciting time um in the moda center i always love it when new pieces are fit in because i just think that put every puts everybody on alert makes everybody that pay that much closer attention to what they're doing and i really like it when they're focused and they're clearly like paying attention to what's going on yeah for sure so should we move on to talk about what's going on around the nba a little bit yeah um how sad about lamarcus aldridge huh i know so yeah it just came out today that he is out indefinitely yeah, out indefinitely due to a minor heart arrhythmia, which is a a problem he's obviously struggled with for a while. It was it was an issue in uh, 2007, and then again, I think in what 2012, 11 or 12, 2014, yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a pre existing condition, and I think he suffered from it as a child as mm-hmm. well. So it's it's nothing new. It's just I'm. It makes me really sad because I. I kind of assumed that since it had been a while that they had the problem under control and he was he was good to go. But I am so terribly attached to him uh-huh. and everything that has to do with him that I've probably gotten like 15 different messages or notifications uh-huh. from friends this morning. Like, are you OK? <laughs> <laughs> as long as LaMarcus is OK. <laughs> right. So, I mean, all our best wishes to LaMarcus and his family and hopefully a speedy recovery and i just i'm I'm worried about you dude but i'm sure you're gonna be okay so that's the first thing on my mind as far as around the nba topics the spurs are in a a place where they can make sure that he gets the you know the rest and the proper care that he needs so we wish definitely wish him all the best uh uh, not long ago russell westbrook to go back to your favorite had a instagram post where he announced that he and his wife are expecting a baby so that's happy news happy health news for somebody in the nba congratulations (laughs) to them you know it was really funny i was watching highlights from the okc game and of course since even though the blazers won I'm talking about the one where um, uh, Westbrook scored 58 points, even though the Blazers won like all the highlights on all the national media were, of course, all Russell Westbrook. But anyway, I was watching him. They did a super slow-mo of him like going to the bucket and like holding, like cradling the ball like really carefully as he was going up there to score. And I was like, oh, he's totally going to be one of those guys who holds their baby like a football, like underneath their arm. (laughs) I was like, I totally see him like just walking around the house, like holding his baby like that. (laughs) (laughs) that's funny congratulations yeah congratulations to him on that and then also on such a historic season like 
Yeah, no kidding. He's going nuts. He's at 30 triple doubles. Yeah, what's and with triple doubles this year? It's so crazy. Like, it's I can't even explain it. And I'm also really upset about <laughs> the fact. Okay, so just so everyone knows, the 1988-89 season was the previously most triple doubles in NBA history, and that was at 78. And then here we are in this like awesome season where triple doubles from Russell Westbrook and James Harden, most specifically. I mean, there are obviously other contributors, but yeah, those now two Jokic are like Jokic is really getting them. Yeah, so Russ has 30 and James is the next closest with 15, which is kind of funny. But um, anyway, like here we are in this crazy historic season of triple doubles and it's Ricky freaking Rubio that scores (laughs) the one that launches us into a new his new record. So Hmm. he scores the 79th to beat the record that was on March 4th and he did it with 11 points, 10 assists and 13 rebounds. And I'm sitting here thinking, why is it Ricky Rubio? Like, how does he get to be the guy that makes the mark on, hey, this is now officially the most triple doubles in NBA history? Like, this A, it was the first triple double of the season for him. And B, if you look at the list that was compiled of triple double leaders for last season, Ricky Rubio is dead last with one. And yet he gets to be the guy that scores the historic triple-double that makes that this the season of most triple-doubles in NBA history. Like, don't you think James and Russ maybe feel a little bit robbed? Well, I'm pretty sure that they're going to be the ones who um, everybody remembers in history. I, I think you're pretty, we're pretty safe thinking Ricky Rubio is going to be like a little asterisk. I don't. I think he's going to be a footnote on on this particular one. I think people are going to remember the race, you know, between Westbrook and Harden for MVP and the crazy amount of triple doubles that that Westbrook has got, and they'll be like, oh yeah, and Ricky Rubio got that one. I, I don't think you have to worry too much about him taking too much of the spotlight away from those guys. Well, tell me this. All right, fine. I'm just, I'm just upset about it. Is all okay? So uh, let me ask you this: On the 28th of February, Damian Lillard almost got a triple double. He had 34 points, um, I think, uh, 11 rebounds and nine assists. How would you have felt if he was the one who'd gotten the record-breaking triple double? I would have been upset, no matter who the player was. Even oh. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but even if it was LaMarcus Aldridge. <laughs> oh, you would have, oh, you would have been, you would have even been mad been if upset. it had been LaMarcus Aldridge. Wow. No ma- Yeah. It's like hard for me to even say that. And it kind of made me like lose my thought. Cause I started thinking about the fact that I can't believe I just said that, <laughs> but I would have been upset no matter who it was, except for Russell or James. I just think that it would have been cooler had it been one of them had that historic like the one that beat the record hmm. it's I don't, that's just that's my thought but it did get, get me going on triple doubles a little bit yeah. and um so i looked up some stuff and oh, i cool. thought you might be interested in hearing some interesting facts so yes. so let's talk facts um the number one player in nba history with triple doubles is oscar, oscar robertson. robertson i knew that one mm-hmm and he had 181 career 
triple doubles. And if Russell Westbrook wants to beat him in any way, he has to get 42 triple doubles this season because that was the most Oscar had was 41 in a season. So in order for Russell to beat that, he's got to get 42, which is not outside of and the realm of possibility. Well, he's got 30. Okay. So it's like, it's like, buddy, you just got to start going for it every game um, in order for him to. Do you to, think there's ever a game he's not going hit that for mark. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so what I was surprised about was Michael Jordan's total. I don't, do you have any idea how many Michael Jordan had Ooh. in his career? Uh, you can just take a wild stabbing guess at 15. it. 15. Not quite that low. Um, he only had 28. Okay. And maybe that's just not that crazy, but to, but growing up as a kid and watching Michael and thinking, holy cow, no one's ever seen anyone like this before. Mm-hmm. It just, I thought he would have had more. Yeah. So I was really surprised. He's ten on, number 10 on the list with 28. He um, had a lot of doubles. strong players around him. That is true. That is true. But uh, yeah, I just, I thought it would have but been still, that's more. a lot. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, another historic fact about this particular season is that Draymond Green had a really fun triple-double. He had the first ever triple-double in NBA history where points was not one of the categories uh, where he was in the double digits. So it was February 10th of 2017, so just a little bit ago, like a month ago, where he had 12 rebounds, 10 assists, and 10 steals. Oh, my gosh. So the I, didn't, first, I, I missed that. Yeah, the first ever without points. So in a lot of different ways, this season with triple-doubles is just crazy. Um, and a couple of other fun facts. And there are only four quadruple-doubles that have ever been recorded. And the last person to do it was the Admiral, Nate Robinson, and that was in the 93-94 season. Oh, what did I say? You Nate? Said Nate Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Sorry, okay, I was home. definitely <laughs> No, thank you for saying I don't even know why I said that because I was definitely picturing big, tall, strong, mustachey David Robinson. What was his line? That. Um, oh, you know why I thought that? Because one of the other person's people was Nate Thurmond. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know what it is. His line. I should have written that down. I don't know what his line was, but um, he was the last player to record a quadruple double. So that was in the 93-94 season. The other three were Nate Thurmond, Alvin Robertson, and of course, the great, the greatest of all, potentially, Hakeem Olajuwon. So those were the four that had quadruple du- quadruple doubles. And then there's a, one other fun fact that I wanted to bring up, and that is that there's only one player in NBA history to record two triple doubles with steals not in the same season or consecutively or anything just like no player has ever scored more than one triple double where steals was one of the categories except for this one player do you have any idea who it is do you want to give me like an era i'm gonna give you a pretty big hint he's considered one of the greatest players in portland trailblazers history Um. and it's the 90s era uh let's see and we're talking steals yeah uh gosh i don't know i mean my first was clyde but i don't know that he stole. Yeah. was it clyde 
Yeah, it was Clyde. Clyde Drexler was the only player in history to record more than one triple-double where steals was one of the categories. Oh, cool. Well, good for mm-hmm. him. Yeah, so those are those were some uh, fun, interesting facts because I, I did a little bit of research when when Ricky Rubio got that 79th and I was a little <laughs> upset, upset about it. You had to cool off by going and doing some research. <laughs> yeah, I, I went and like channeled my energy a little bit. So there, See, that's there you good. go. There's a little triple double info for the listeners. Good job. That is awesome. So do we have a player of the week that you would like us to discuss? I know you probably prepared something. <laughs> Well, yes, I actually did come up with somebody to talk about, but maybe it's not who you might have expected. I was thinking about Let me guess. Let me guess. It's Nurk. Well, see, that's what I was thinking I would do. But then I was like, no, everybody's talking about Nurk right now. And I want to talk about another player who we've actually been seeing a little bit more of. And I wanted to give him a little attention. And that is Shabazz Napier. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, he's been seeing a little bit more playing time. And I think as the as the season goes on, we're hopefully going to see more of him. So I wanted to give people a little bit of background about where Shabazz is from. So um, I'll just launch right into it. Shabazz is one of four Blazers from the Boston area. So there's four of them. Pat Connaughton, Noah Vonley, Jake Lehman and Shabazz are all from the Boston area. His mother is from Puerto Rico, and he has an older brother and an older sister. And when he was five years old, just a little guy, he started participating in a program that was called No Books, No Balls. And it was a YMCA program in Roxbury to get uh, young kids to play basketball. And while he was there, he met a group of older boys who were quite a bit older than him, like six to eight years older than him. But they really took him under their wing, and he hung out with these older boys, played basketball with them, and um, he uh, really had a close relationship to this group, and they called themselves the Fab Six. And all six of these guys that took Shabazz under their wing, they all ended up going off to college playing basketball. And Shabazz, you know, stayed in in Boston, but he had them sort of as an example of guys, you know, who were um, working hard and saw some success uh, because of their hard work. So Shabazz in high school, according to what I read about him in some of the uh, articles in him on ESPN and Sports Illustrated is um, in high school, he was a little bit of a class clown. So he did struggle academically. So after his junior year, his coach realized that he wasn't necessarily going to be qualified academically for college. So he transferred to a private school so that he could make up the credits. And so he went to Lawrence Academy in rural Massachusetts his junior year. That's interesting. Well, he he went to Lawrence Academy and they went 29 and 0 that year (laughs) and won the New England Prep School Class C title. And um, Napier had 23 points, eight assists, and eight steals um, to win that game. And one thing that is going to – a theme that you're going to hear about Shabazz is that he wins games for his teams in the final minutes. That year, um, you know, the the team was behind and he led the play in the final minute to bring them to victory. So that's something that is consistent with him throughout his entire playing career of every level. So he went to. Well, the that's uni- great because sometimes the Blazers yes. kind of throw it away in the final minutes. Right. He is. Um, he's pretty clutch at the end there. So he went to UConn. He uh, went there in 2010. He was a little guy. Um, you know, for a basketball player, he was six foot, weighed 160 pounds, and his freshman year, he backed up Kemba Walker, which I did not know. 
He pl- he played in all 41 games and he sank two critical free throws against Kansas in the final four. And that put them into the finals and they went on to win the NCAA tournament his freshman year. And he made the Big East all rookie team. His sophomore year at UConn, he played with Andre Drummond. They lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament. His team actually got a one-year postseason ban because of, I believe it was academics, and then his coach retired. So at the end of his sophomore year, things were kind of up in the air for him with his coach leaving, his team being banned from postseason play. But despite those uncertainties, he did stick around for his junior year. And his junior year, he and Ryan Boatwright were one of the best backcourts in college. The two of them averaged 33 points and nine assists per game. Napier himself averaged 17.1 points, 4.6 assists, four rebounds, and two steals. He's always been a guy who could get a couple of steals. Who the heck is Ryan Boatwright? He was just his backcourt mate. (laughs) I mean, it's just sad. It's sad, though, that like, who is he now yeah. like you would think anyway sorry for the interruption i was just hung up on like who is ryan Bowright. <laughs> maybe he'll he'll end up crossing our we'll end up crossing paths with him someday <laughs> yeah but anyway they were not eligible for the postseason but napier still made the uh big east all uh first team and he was on an honorable mention for big east player of the year And again, he was known for his clutch play, especially in overtime. He led his team to a record, a school record, five overtime wins just that year. Wow. His senior season, they won the national championship. And Shabazz was honored as the NCAA Final Four Most Outstanding Player. He is the only player in UConn history who has scored 1,500 points, 500 rebounds, 500 assists, and 250 steals. That's impressive. Yeah, he has a he had a really impressive college career. Evan Turner also had a really impressive um, college career. And again, like the game that he that that they won to win the championship was again came down to the very end and it came down to Shabazz. So like with two minutes remaining, UConn was playing Michigan. Michigan State closed the lead with two minutes left and Shabazz got a jump shot to put them up by four. The Spartans fought back. They came to within two again with 31 seconds uh, remaining. Napier, you know, shot a three point to try to ice it. He missed, but he was fouled, went to the line and hit all three foul shots in the end of the game in the spotlight. Nine of his 17 second half points were from free throws. So not only does he have good plays, but he has good free throws, free free throwing in the final seconds. So one of these days we're going to have to throw him out at the end of the at the end of the game and, and watch that. So he entered the draft in 2014. Oh, he graduated with his class. He has a degree in sociology. Um, And then he entered the draft in 2014. Just to remind you who was in that draft, that was Andrew Wiggins was picked number first. Joel Embiid was number three. Noah Vonley was number nine. Yusuf Nurkic was number 16. And Shabazz was number 24. Oh, that's nice company to keep. Yeah. Yeah. So from 2014 draft, we have um, three first round picks. And fun fact, the the pick that so Shabazz was drafted by the Hornets and immediately traded to Miami. But that pick that the Hornets used to get Shabazz was originally Portland's. 
Surprise, surprise. I feel like we're always part of the picnic. (laughs) I know. I just thought that was interesting. So in Miami, uh, he played 51 games as a rookie. Then he was traded to Orlando for two second round picks. He played 55 games with Orlando where he averaged 3.7 points, one rebound, 1.8 assists, and just under 11 minutes per game. And then, of course, the Trailblazers picked him up and they picked him up for cash considerations. He's played in 39 games this season. He's averaging 3.4 points, one rebound, and 1.3 assists in 8.8 minutes. So that is my what I learned about Shabazz Napier. I feel like we need to uh, get him in late in the game sometimes. Yeah. See what he does. Well, we should at least not be surprised if we see him at the end of the game, and we should not be worried because he seems to, you know, be really cool in those types of of situations. And you know, before the the Blazers, you know, started, you know, winning the last four games, and when it looked like we were like going to uh, be struggling this the rest of the season, having lost Plumlee and having Turner out and Ed Davis, when it looked like maybe we were going to the lottery, I was like, sweet, we're going to see a whole bunch of Shabazz. So I don't know if we're still going to see a bunch of Shabazz, but if we do, I'm going to be watching for those, uh, watching for steals and watching for his last minute plays. You know, this is maybe a topic for another time, but on that subject, I'm never okay with tanking. I don't think it's the Rip City way. And I think and I think that there are certain people, again, who shall remain unnamed, that their negativity and affinity for tanking is starting to make me mad. That's I think there's a say. lot of people out there, and I was hoping we could get through a podcast without saying the word tank. But let's just nope cut it off right there <laughs> and we'll see how we're doing in another couple of the weeks the next time we're on the air how's that sound then we'll see if Sounds we want to great. talk about it all right you better take us out before i start talking again <laughs> well we should probably start wrapping it up um but before we go i we forgot to say at the beginning of the program that you can find blazer's edge podcast on stitcher or itunes you su- you can subscribe and get it on any podcast catcher that you like to use you can also head on over to blazersedge.com to find all kinds of really great content all about the portland trailblazers news and analysis there's game day threads that you can join in if you haven't ever checked it out you should head on over there and see what is going on on blazersedge.com the other thing speaking of blazers edge is that philadelphia game that we were talking about that was blazers edge night So thanks to the readers of Blazer's Edge who contributed 2,000 tickets to send uh, kids and their chaperones to that game. I was there sitting with uh, several other members of the Blazer's Edge staff. It was really fun to be in the arena to watch all these kids, many of them experiencing their first game. It was a blast. And I just wanted to uh, thank all of the Blazer's Edge readers who uh, contributed to that because it was a really special night. So uh, thanks for your generous donations of tickets. Let's see. I will also, let's remind everybody one more time, Women's Hops and Talks is going to be on March the 19th. Tip-off is at 3 o'clock. Show up at 2.30. If you're a woman who loves to talk basketball, we'd love to meet you and talk about basketball with you. We've had many awesome local companies donate things that we give away as prizes and games, including Graphletics, Evanem, Trailblazing, and this year we have uh, Dino, who is an artist. Dino Murphy, and uh, he's a very talented artist that puts like 
hours and hours and hours into his work. So definitely check him up. He's check him out. Dino by design on Facebook and Twitter. And he, just so you guys know, he does commissions. So if you've caught like Nurk fever, for example, and you want like an original painting of Yusuf Nurkic that would be with awesome. the hashtag Nurk fever or something, his commissions start at two, like the, in the $250, $300 range for an original painting. And then he does all the prints. He does many, many prints of these original paintings and he's selling those for 40 bucks a piece right now, which is really great. He's done, you know, Damien and LaMarcus and Bill Walton and um, Jerome Kersey and a bunch of other more recent or current players with the Blazers. Like he's just got a really cool mixture of, of Portland Trailblazers players and Prince. So you should check him out for sure. Yeah. And one lucky woman at women's hops and talks is going to win a copy of one of his Dame Prince. That got me thinking. So I think I would like, I think it'd be fun to have one, uh, a commission, a print of, Nurkic, but wearing the shirt that has his girlfriend's face on it that he wore to the game the other night. I think that would be a really <laughs> good one. Or a print of the lady who made the Chris Kamen shirt would also be awesome. Do you remember that? Oh my gosh. Do you remember yeah. the lady who had yeah, the sweater well, that was Chris Kamen's head? Imagine yeah. a painting of that in your house. That might give me nightmares. So maybe not. Well, you know, if you want a commission him he'll do it <laughs> thanks for everybody for uh, joining us today joe it was great to get back together with you i missed you it's been fun to talk basketball with you again so until next time go blazers